Do you want to stop yelling and have your child listen to? Well, I have exciting news for you. If you're hearing this right now, it means that the doors to mindful parenting are open at mindfulparentingcourse.com. This only happens for a limited time, and it may be perfect for you if you want to be that patient, calm parent, but you're afraid of being walked all over, you're losing it, and you want to be that steady, peaceful parent, you don't have a cohesive method, and you take in bad advice like just count to one, two, three. Mindful parenting is an evidence-based system that not only teaches you how to calm your reactivity, but offers you a ton of personal guidance. A lot of other parenting coaches talk about the best way to respond to your child, but guess what? They don't walk you through the research-proven practices that it really takes to create changes that actually last. Mindful parenting teaches you the specific steps to create cooperative, loving relationships for life. In Mindful Parenting, you can learn how to stay calm, even if you find yourself shouting hourly now. Be present for your child no matter what they're going through. Resolve conflicts easily without yelling or taking away the iPad. Set limits without your child resenting you for days afterward. And build trust between you and your child so that you avoid misery in the teen years. The doors are open now at mindfulparentingcourse.com. Unlike other programs in Mindful Parenting, we offer one-on-one coaching to every member and weekly drop-in coaching sessions. Don't wait anymore. You and your kids are worth leveling up. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and join now before the doors close again. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com. I'll see you there. I think fear is really something that we need to manage and realize that we can't let our own fears inhibit our kids from growing up. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode number 325. Today, we're talking about freedom and self-reliance for kids with Sarah Zasky. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have, and when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark Fields. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of Mindful Parenting, and I'm the author of the best-selling book, Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confident kids. Welcome back to the Mindful Mama podcast. This is a really interesting episode. I talked to Sarah Zasky. She's a writer who lived in Germany for more than six years with her family and experience that really inspired this book she wrote, Achtung Baby, an American Mom and the German Art of Raising Self-Reliant Children. So we talk about her experience in Germany and the importance of self-reliance for kids, including physical freedom, walking, playing by themselves, learning to handle dangerous things like fire, knives, heights, all those kind of things. Really interesting. Even intellectual freedom, right? Like talking about sex and death and all kinds of things. So it's really fascinating episode. I know that you are going to get so much out of it. I I really, really enjoyed talking to Sarah. All right. I think that's all I got to say to you today. Let's dive in. Join me at the table as I talk to Sarah Zasky. You, as I mentioned already in the intro, wrote the book, Actung Baby. I've got it right here, Actung Baby. Um, And so I would just love for you, you ended up raising your kids in Germany kind of inadvertently. It wasn't like in your plan, but uh, do you want to just give us the the story of how you ended up in in Germany raising your kids? Sure. My husband uh, basically got what was sort of like a postdoc appointment in Germany. So it was supposed to be just a couple of years, uh, but then they gave him a job there. And I, if I remember correctly, it was right in the middle of a recession and we were like, great, let's stay. <laughs> so we, we ended up being there for almost seven years. Um, my son was born there. My, my daughter was about two and a half when we arrived. So we went through a lot of those early years and a little bit of Grunschule uh, elementary school with my daughter there. 
All right, cool. And you were in Berlin specifically. So it's like a pretty big city, pretty diverse metropolitan kind of place, right? Yes, absolutely. It's um, a lot like many big urban American cities that you would find. Um, and I guess that's one of the things that surprised me, first of all, because uh, especially in America, when we're in big cities, we're very cautious with our children. And in Berlin, uh, it was like you're in a country town. And, you know, kids were walking everywhere and uh, going shopping and going to the bakery uh, and you know, taking the bus and the subways. It was very different than America. Well, we've had, and I know you mentioned her, we've had Lenore Skenazy on the podcast twice now, and she's talked about how she got in so much trouble for, um, like, having her nine-year-old ride the subway in New York, and, you know, you can, dear listener, you can go listen to that episode and and see Lenore talk about that, Um, and, and she got, like, dubbed, like, the worst mom in America. But this is something that happens pretty regularly in Berlin. Yes, I mean, I guess the Americans would think every German parent was terrible (laughs) because it's considered normal. Um, And I I think that's one of the things that inspired me to write the book is that the entire country of Germany gives the lie to a lot of the things that we take for granted as dangerous or we're super afraid of because they let their kids do it daily and they don't have any drastic, uh, you know, rates of kids getting kidnapped or abused. It's their crime is very similar to our, our crime, our criminal rates, I should say. Yeah. And I, I, just to refresh the listener, I remember Lenore, you know, like if you would have to, she has a crazy statistic, you have to go back and listen to the episode, but like you would have to, how long would you have to put your child on a busy street corner by themselves before they would get like abducted? Yeah, (laughs) like years and years. (laughs) 40,000 years, it's some crazy number, like, because it's actually so rare. Um, in reality, despite <clears throat> the myths that some people have about it. Um, but it, it's interesting. What I think is interesting, how you kind of like, you went back into Germany's history. And, you know, we all, of course, know about World War II and, and the Holocaust and and that Germans have this kind of authoritarian history, right? But then mm-hmm. things started to sort of shift and change in their parenting. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So as you might imagine, the generation that came right after um, the Nazi years had a huge reaction against what their parents had done. Um, they wanted to reject everything authoritarian um, so far that they went almost like dramatically the other way. Uh, and especially with parenting as well, because they saw the roots of that uh, controlling behavior happening in parenting. And it makes a lot of sense. If you're a kid and all you know is control by your parents, um, that's how you grow up and you're like used to being controlled. Um, So they started things like anti-authoritarian kindergartens where they had no rules at all, which you can imagine what kind of chaos that was. And if you go back and see some of the pictures, they have kids, you know, running around naked and throwing mud on the walls. And um, <laughs> I think something, this is like the sixties, right? And so things have swung back a little bit uh, from that, uh, that time for sure in Germany, but you would be really hard pressed to find a German parent who would say, you know, it's good to control your kids. It's good to make sure that they behave as the first thing, you know, that, that, uh, they should do or they should be obedient. Um, they really reject that idea. Instead, they um, they take the German value of self-reliance, which is an old value, but it's now uh, more like independence and, uh, and nurturing their, their uh, individuality, um, which is quite a dramatic change from Nazi Germany, but it's also a dramatic change now from how Americans treat their kids. Um, we have somehow become a uh, a country that is very into controlling kids, like deciding how they play, where they go, in the name of safety usually, and also sometimes in the name of their education and their future. So, um, so you started to see the, like these differences right away. And, and I definitely know what you're talking about, this idea in the U.S., like of control, like <clears throat> it makes me totally, not a lot of things get me like super, super enraged, but like it makes me so mad that 
this, that family that got like arrested because it was like a nine-year-old was walking home from the playground by themselves or something. It was like a 10-year-old and a, a little brother or something. I mean, that's bananas. Like I can't understand why this is happening in the U.S. But yeah, there's a real thing. There's, there's laws, right? Like in California, you can't, you're, there's laws uh, about certain ages. You can leave kids in, in cars and things like that, right? Like what yeah. are you seeing that's happening in the U.S. now? That's, yeah, I, that's I, the way I think it's we're in a little of a, a conflict. I hope we're at a tipping point where we're starting to see that's crazy because, you know, when I grew up, I was the kind of kid in the 80s my mom would dash into the store and get something I played in the neighborhood until the lights went out or she would literally bang a pot in the window to get us home and I think a lot of us grew that grew up that way but we oh yeah suddenly- I was like all over my town like I went everywhere on my bike with like when I was like six I was in the candy store by myself buying bubble yum <laughs> yeah I know same then something happened to us where we got very fearful um that something was going to happen to our kids just by the mere fact of them being out in the world. Um, And the reaction that we have to that was to just lock it down. Like they can't do anything. And what's interesting is when I spoke to German parents, I'm like, aren't you afraid, you know, that something's going to happen to your kids when they're out there. And they, they would say, Oh yeah, you know, I'm terrified. I've heard these stories too, but I can't constantly be watching over them because then they'll never learn how to grow up. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I was just like, whoa, you know, it kind of set me back a little bit. I'm like, oh yeah, that's the goal. And there's absolutely, another thing that we don't seem to realize is there's no way that we can keep our kids 100% safe. It's just not possible. Um, that's not how life works. We can't keep our own selves 100% safe. So what we do as adults, right, is we assess risk. Um, you know, we take precautions, we prepare. And that's actually the same thing we should be doing with our kids is, is teaching them how to assess risk around them, how to prepare themselves for things that might happen and then let them do it, you know, at the appropriate age level or when they're ready. You know, every people often ask me, you know, what age is good to do X? I'm like, well, it's different for every kid. You know, you know, your kid, how, how aware they are, how, um, you know, maybe directionally challenged they are. I have, mm-hmm. My son is actually like, really good at directions and he had the bus figured out in our town like within a week of moving here my daughter has gotten on that bus and gone the wrong way several times <laughs> so it's like you know it's always depends on the kid um but yeah I, I think fear is is really something that we need to manage and um realize that we can't let our own fears inhibit our kids from growing up so when so when, yeah, it's definitely our own stuff. It's our own fear. Cause it's not, it's, it's not reality. It's not statistics. Like it's, it, maybe it's the news media, but um, so when you got to Germany with your daughter, how did you start to like confront your, your own, maybe, did you notice like your own attitudes that you had just kind of absorbed through culturally that were in contrast to this more independence minded attitudes? Oh yeah, absolutely. Like almost from the beginning. So she was like two and a half when we first moved there and we had a a birthday party for her when she was three. And we went to a nearby park with another family and it had this playground, but it was, the playground was surrounded by a wall and you couldn't see inside it. And their kids asked to go play. And then they took my daughter and they left and went behind the wall and nobody moved. I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out, especially if you ever deal with any school system, which you probably do. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And this season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and busts common myths about special education. So I checked out the episode on the difference between IEPs and 504 plans because my daughter Maggie uses a 504 plan and it was really, really helpful. It went over all the differences, which one's better, how to get them, different myths and what your rights are, all kinds of different things that you should understand if your child may need extra help in education through an IEP or a 504 plan. 
the tone is super helpful, friendly, and smart. I highly recommend you check it out. To listen to Understood Explains, just search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's it. Understood Explains. We are supported by Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as Math Mysteries About True Histories. It's a weekly show full of time travel puzzles, hidden equations, history, and lots of laughs. I highly recommend this podcast. It's really wonderful, especially if you have kids like around like six plus, but it can totally be enjoyed by the whole family. So I listened to the episode, The Pirate Queen, and you're just dropped right in the middle of the action. People are fighting. There's sword fight. And then these kids, they've gone on a time travel mission and they have to solve problems in the midst of it. And it really just like exemplifies everything we support here at Mindful Parenting. You know, kids who are adventurous, doing things on the world, they're capable. And then they do things like they have to do math, they have to think critically, they have to code break and pattern solving and all this great stuff. Beyond just the Pirate Queen episode, which I highly recommend, episodes transport listeners to moments in history, too, like Pythagoras, Ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. So jump in with your family. Follow the adventures of Max and Molly on an adventure through time with puzzles and hidden equations and laughs. And it really does make learning really fun and really cool. Perfect for ages six and up. New episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. So tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids, and you can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. That's Mysteries About True Histories. And just, I was like, just the kids went. <laughs> just like the kids went by the wall. I was just like, uh, should I go? And they're like, oh, no, they'll be fine. They go here all the time. And this two three-year-olds and a five-year-old. Um, and then I, I was like looking around me and I, I was noticing all these picnic groups that the kids are just coming and going and nobody's hovering over their kids on the playground. And uh, yeah, that's when I was like, oh, because I had at that point considered myself a fairly relaxed American parent, <laughs> but not in Germany. In Germany, I was considered a helicopter, I was considered a helicopter parent. You know, I was too nervous, like Oh, I got to watch my kids all the time. I got to make sure they don't fall on the playground. And they would tell me, they'd be like, really, you know, the kids don't want to get hurt. <laughs> so if you're not right there, they're not going to climb up super high. Um, most kids won't anyway. Hmm. Interesting. That That's cool. So it, right away, I mean, yeah, I mean, I can imagine, I mean, I'm like the mom who's like, kids are like climbing all the things, all that stuff. But I can imagine I would have the same experience of like, wait, nobody's, nobody's going over there. Like the kids are just going over there on their own. Aren't we worried that the kids are going to run in the opposite direction? Like all of that stuff. Um, but, but German parents are not worried about that and it's all kind of working out. And, but I guess one thing they don't have to worry about is other German parents marching their kids over and saying, where are you? Cause that yeah. would happen here in the United States, unfortunately. I know it is a, a lot depends on culture, I think. And a culture is a, this kind of group activity. And that was what was kind of nice about living in Germany because their attitude towards children are, well, you know, the children do belong to the parents, but everybody kind of looks out for them. Mm. You know, uh, we had a bakery in the downstairs uh, of the apartment building we were in and they knew my daughter, you know, once I started to let her go down and, and buy stuff and they would you know, give her special attention. And I'd see other kids buying stuff. And it was like, they kept an eye out for your kid too. Mm -hmm. And so in Germany, they're, they're also, they, they're really encouraging their kids to kind of like, to basically walk to school and, and on their own and to what, at what ages are they really, what is this encouraged? I mean, I remember as a kid, like I remember walking to kindergarten Mm -hmm. or to at least first grade, but, you know, but my older brother was there. He was three years older. I don't know, but I remember like, it was kind of like a, you know, it was like a seven block walk to school. It was significant. Um, so they're, there's, they're, they're doing that a lot more. Yeah. It's kind of an active moment. I mean, some kids were going to uh, kindergarten without parents sometimes, 
Um, but that wasn't the norm. The norm was first grade, which is about six or seven years old. They even introduced it in school. So they had the, the teacher took the whole entire class out through the, and walked them around the neighborhood, talked about zebra strife and the white lines on the street and how to cross the street and you know what streets were nearby so they would know directions. They sent a note home to the parents and said, this is the time you're supposed to let your kids walk to school. And I said, I said, no, not my kid. <laughs> we're American. We're not doing that. Um, so I held out for a while until my daughter was like the only child being walked to school by her parent. Um, but I tell you, the moment that I let her do that, I was like, wow, yeah, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Because she came home that day and she was just so proud. And from then on, it was like she got herself up. She got her things ready. She just took responsibility for that whole part of the morning. Um, and it, it was, I think, a big moment for her. And, and it really is for me. And not to mention that it's just practically a lot easier because I had another child I had to, you know, he was like three <laughs> that I definitely had to take to school. Um, so it's, it's not only good for the kid, it's good for the parent. Um, and, you know, to this day, they both feel a lot more responsibility about getting themselves where they need to go. That's great. Yeah. I mean, kids can be so dependent on give me a ride here and give me a ride there. It can be really like to, we turn into like this ride service, um, at some point. And it kind of depends on obviously where you're living and, you know, maybe if you're in a suburban versus a town situation. Um, huh. It's so interesting because yeah, we think of, um, you know, we think of like, it's interesting because we have these larger cultural attitudes where we're like, we think we're really promoting independence, like we or we really value independence in the United States, right? Like yeah. we really value like freedom. It's like freedom, live, you know, New Hampshire, <laughs> live free or die, like freedom, right? And and but we've really kind of, you know, from looking at it in contrast to this other culture, we're really like if we can, it can give us this perspective to say we're actually kind of like acting really acting have swung to be acting against kids freedom in a in a large way right yeah absolutely it is and um well the other interesting thing that i've noticed in america is when i talk about the physical freedom uh, a lot of people get it um when i start to talk about intellectual freedom hmm. that's when um a lot of parents have problems uh in terms of they want their kids to think like they do um and that to me is perhaps the most fundamental freedom that you can give anyone. And I always ask them to think about their parents' influence on them. I was like, do you think exactly like your parents? Uh, do you agree with them on everything? And that's usually when they're like, well, no, I don't. So you shouldn't expect your kids to grow up that way either. Um, and ultimately they won't thank you for it. <laughs> you know, once they, they kind of have an automatic uh, developmental stage where they reject you, you know, that's the, the adolescence, right? Um, but ultimately kids need to become their own people. And uh, the more you encourage them to express their own ideas, even if they are things that you don't agree with, um, the more they, that you can have a more mutual relationship as they grow into adulthood. So is that something they're actively cultivating like culturally in Germany is like that intellectual freedom and freedom to explore different ideas? Absolutely. Um, they even leave like pamphlets around at uh, like, you know, children's museums and whatnot that say children's rights. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. And so they have a very, they're, you know, a line for um, kind of the second stage of young adulthood is age 14. Mm. Um, so before 14, you're considered a child. And at 14, you start to take on some of the responsibility to adulthood. So that's the age where you can be criminally liable for things, for instance. Um, that's the age where you can decide to, to not go to church. Um, so you have some spiritual autonomy. I, I think your parents can still, you know, persuade you pretty heavily, but they have church and school. So you can say, I don't want to take that class anymore. Um, so there are levels where they say, oh, you're starting to become your own person and you don't have to follow these certain things. Children's rights, that's a whole thing. And I was really interested to see in that you said that in Germany, they, out, they outlawed spanking in 2000. And I, 
and now that I, I mean, now that I, I, I start to see spanking now as like, it's kind of like state sanctioned domestic violence, basically. And I can't really understand why we say that it's okay to hit our most vulnerable population. That was really fascinating to me. And you had some really interesting statistics on how prevalent it is in the United States. Yeah. It, it is fairly prevalent still, even today, um, even with all we know. I mean, scientifically, there have been studies, and it does damage um, for a long time. And you could you could imagine how powerless you feel as as small child to be hit. And if, the one standard that I think is interesting: if if you wouldn't do something to an adult, I don't understand why we would do it to a child. And we don't even hit adults for punishment in prison. Um, that is totally forbidden. Um, why we would hit a child who's learning how to behave, um, I don't understand. And there's evidence that spanking leads to violent behavior as adults because that frustration comes out and also that idea of control. Um, there's a lot of studies too as well that people who are spanked as children are more authoritarian in their views towards everything. Um, so for the Germans, that evidence, of course, was very compelling because they want to do anything they can to make sure that their society never goes in the direction it went in World War II. And so it took, a, it took some time and some convincing, but um, they've, they've pretty much, they've outlawed it. And even more importantly, it's not part of the culture, um, which I always think is more, more important, right? Yeah. It might be against law, but people still do it, but not in Germany. They don't, most kids have not experienced corporal punishment. Oh, wow. That's awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm so impressed and I'm, I'm loving this. Um, yeah, we need to, we need to move that way here in the United States, but you know, I can see that that would be a really uphill battle. Like, you know, you're telling me to wear a mask and now you're telling me how to parent my kids. <laughs> now, if we could just, those parents who love freedom so much too, they're often people who talk a, a good game about freedom. Mm -hmm. um, if they can just put themselves in the position of that child and think about their freedom for a minute, you know, I'd, that that's really a fundamental thing. The freedom to not be hit, <laughs> you know, to make a mistake and, and be talked to reasonably versus, you know, being punished uh, harshly for it. I, I think it'll take some time, but it, it could happen here. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them, even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics, depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff, but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. 
Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. Well, we're we're bringing it in that direction right now as we speak. We're we're spreading spreading the knowledge about that. So, did you now? You eventually like went back to the United States with your kids, right? Um, was it a culture shock returning home? <laughs> it was a huge reverse culture shock. <laughs> it was very strange, um, and, and mostly it was that we we first landed in California where we had lived before in a, a very suburban, very safe neighborhood, much more safe probably statistically than Berlin. And it was a, a child desert. There were no children on the sidewalks. There were no children at the park. Um, nobody let their kids out. And we, we lived even a shorter distance from the school and no kids walked. I mean, if they did walk, they were walking with their parents, but like we're less than a mile and people would get out, get in their cars, drive the kids the short distance of the school, get out of the car, walk the kids into the school. It was, uh, it was a little, I, I didn't want to feel like I was uh, a rebel or somehow by letting my kids walk to school, but I also didn't want to deny them that because everybody else wasn't doing it. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a bit of, bit of a shock and I had to deal with some uh, parents who were like, you let your kid do that or you shouldn't. And, and some of the attitudes were not like, you shouldn't because they'll be, uh, you know, abducted or something. They were more like, you shouldn't because somebody's going to tell on you, which, oh, uh, yeah. which mm-hmm. in some ways is even more disconcerting, this kind of like control factor, I think, parents controlling other parents. Yeah. So how old were your kids when you got back and they were wanting to walk to school? Uh, my daughter was in fourth grade and my son was just starting first grade. Um, now, my daughter had already been walking to school forever in Berlin, so I just let her go. Um, a rider bike around the neighborhood. Um, my son was a little young for first grade. I think he was six, but it was really hot there one day. And he said, you know, mom, I'd like to walk home and not ride in the car. I'd, I'd come to pick them up first because I had to be somewhere or something. And I said, you know, I'm, the first thing I did, I have to admit, is I looked around at me at the other parents who were loading their kids in the car. I'm yeah. Like, oh, I kind of think. And I'm like, oh, that doesn't matter. <laughs> Just let it happen. Right. And so I did. Um, and then he got back home and he was all sweaty because he had run. <laughs> and he said, he told me another parent had pulled over to see if he was okay and wanted a ride. <gasps> which oh my I was gosh. Like, that's exactly the wrong message. And thank God he said no, um, because you never get in the car with anybody, even if you don't know them. That's one of the rules. I mean, even if you know them, that's kind of one of the rules yeah, of yeah. unless, you know, we've agreed that you're going with somebody, you don't get in the car. Um, so and he told me then that he was afraid walking home. And I was like, oh, geez, maybe this was too early. You know, um, you don't have to walk home by yourself. You don't want to. And then. Uh, He's, he said, you know, well, but nothing happened. I'm like, no, it's not going to. And then maybe about a week later, he tried it again. And he was like, hmm, it was all right. I don't know what I was worried about. <laughs> and, from, and from there, he walked a lot to and from school with his sister, without his sister. And he was fine. So, wow, that's, I, I love it. I love that this, like, independence kind of, it got sort of, you know, enculturated into you and, and into your kids. Um, yeah, because we're social creatures. Like we take a lot of cues from what people are doing around us, like with the pandemic, with towards the end of the pandemic, you know, it's been really interesting to see like, well, okay, now that the, like some stores require masks and some stores don't and some, and if now I have a, now I have a vaccine, so I don't have to wear a mask. And so I remember going in and like, just, you know, what everyone would tell me is like, I just do what everyone else is doing, you know, in this location. And that's natural. That's normal for us, you know, but we just, we tend to think like, no, I'll just be the independent one. But it really does take everybody in the culture starting to shift and change the ideas around this. Um, Yeah. Yeah. which, you know, I guess that's why, like, if, you know, dear listener, if you're interested in this, like, it goes back to the Let Grow movement that Lenore Skenazy is working on, trying to get communities together to 
get kids to to allow parents, you know, hold maybe a whole school of kids or a whole neighborhood of parents to allow a little bit more independence. What do, what do you see as some of the ways we can start to give kids a little more freedom, a little more, let them be more self-reliant, give them some more independence? Oh, absolutely. I've taken some cues from Lenore Skadezi and trying to foster things here. It really, culture, I think, changes mostly from the bottom up. You know, we can make laws, and I, I do totally support Lenore Skenazy's three-range parenting laws, uh, which uh, take away some of the, you know, the whip where people are going to be visited by CPS because they let their kids out to play. Um, but the most powerful thing we can do is to find like-minded parents, uh, find a group of kids. Um, a lot of parents feel safer letting their kids go do things if it's more than one kid. I know I do. Um, so if you find parents who are willing to let their kids go to the playground unsupervised together, then automatically start to have a community. And what happens is other kids see that. <laughs> other parents see that and they go, oh, well, that looks like fun for my kid. And it seems pretty safe because there's a group of kids there. Um, and that's the way things kind of build. It Sometimes it, you don't have to be the lone ranger, <laughs> I guess, you know, changing your entire neighborhood. But if you could just find a couple parents um, who who are of the same mind and a couple kids and your kids can be pretty good recruiters as well. I know that I let my daughter... Uh, uh, deliver birthday invitations all through our neighborhood when she was nine or 10, I forget. Um, but I got calls from parents. Sophia was just here. I'm like, yeah, she was delivering her birthday party. invitation. She was on her bike by herself. I'm like, yes. And then a week or so later, all the friends started getting their bikes out again, you know, like, Oh, well, Sophia does that. So, and then there was a group of girls in the neighborhood riding their bikes. And that's, it's really nice to see. I love this. I so I hope this is, uh, dear listener. I hope this is like encouraging you to to provide your kids with a little more independence, like because that's what we want, right? We want self reliant kids. We want kids who can be independent, can be confident, can get around the world, or aren't fearful, right? Um, hel- helicoptering it leads to like what the college campuses call as like fragile little teacup kids who can't handle any problems because they've never had to. Um, and just like Sarah's saying, like we, you know, just like that German teacher walk them around the neighborhood, like that's what we do. We show them how, like when I, my kids, ha- we have a, we live on a cul-de-sac, but it meets up with a busy street. So we practiced walking across that street, you know, we walked across it together. 10 bazillion times. And then I said, okay, you tell me when to cross. And then they did it, you know, and then I watched them do it. And it's like, we can scaffold our kids. It's not like we have to say we're helicoptering. And then it's like, oh, freedom, you know, the bars are open. We start to teach them about how to get around in the world. What are some of the like kind of ground rules that you, you give for your kids or some of the things you encourage kids to parents to teach kids as they're getting more independence? Like, for instance, like I made my kids memorize my phone number mm-hmm. and our address at a very early age. I would drill them on it in the car and they can still memorize. It's probably the only phone number they'll ever know. But anyway. <laughs> what about you, Sarah? What are some things that you encourage people to teach their kids as as they go and are letting them be more independent? Well, you bring up a really good point um, that... Uh, some people think that we're just like flinging our kids outdoors and saying, figure it out. That That's not teaching your kid to be self-reliant. And that's not how Germans would do it either. They're, they're very big on preparation. I often use this phrase that they, they prefer preparation over prohibition. Um, mm. oh, and I'm like going to say preparation over prohibition. That's really smart. Right. Because uh, it's kind of in our nature as, as human beings, as we growing up to try things out. And if we don't prepare our kids to deal with some things, then that's when disaster happens. And I'm going to talk about one thing that might be a little controversial, but they do in Germany is I think you should teach your kids how to light a match and use a lighter mm-hmm. and start a fire and what, and the properties of fire. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is how they, they shocked me in Germany with this, that they did this as a class and, and my daughter came home and showed me how to light a candle. Uh, but the idea behind it is really sound um, because fire is such a fascination for kids. If you've ever had a kid, a small kid, 
that they want to know how to do it. And they see that it's an adult thing. And I bet there are a lot of people as adults who have stories about them playing secretly with matches, no matter how many people told you not to. Oh, I Um, totally did. I melted all of my mom's, like her mother's like can't Christmas candles, like one afternoon because I wanted to light them. And they're all like half gone, you know. I just yeah, I used to melt crayons. Um, <laughs> but I I'm of the opinion now that the American prohibition on fire is probably a dangerous thing, and this is how it goes. Um, if a kid doesn't know how to light a match, a small kid, and they sneak it, and they they light it, and they don't even know how to hold it, they might hold it like this, and then their fingers burn, and they drop it, and then. Yeah maybe something starts to get on fire. And their first thought, if they've been told never play with matches is I'm going to get in trouble. And then they run away, they hide, they don't tell their parents. And that's how really tragic things can happen. That's a lot of times how the fires can happen started by kids. But if you teach a kid all the rules around fire and you let them do it, we'd even have fire play. My son would say, Oh, I'd love to, you know, have fire play. So we'd lay out some aluminum foil and get a cup of water and some, candles and let him have at it while somebody's there um he even told his uncle once he's who was at the barbecue and he was leaving he's like oh i'm gonna stay here because a fire needs a friend because <laughs> one of the rules is that you never leave a fire alone and if you have because it could escape right and create danger and if you have to leave it somebody has to stay by you tell somebody um so i would encourage parents to safely teach kids how fire works and how to operate a match and how to do a lighter. Because if they know that they can play with it with your permission and your supervision, they're much less likely to do something sneaky. Yeah. Or, or if they do and they have an accident, they're more likely to come tell you than to this let part. it burn. Yeah, yeah, we've taught our kids how to do that. In fact, what we had... um there there's a bunch of like there's actually like i love um there's a it's called four small hands it's probably it's just a a website now it used to be a catalog but we got our kids like when my daughter was six we got her a little toolkit and had a little like hand drill and a little saw and a little hammer and everything so we taught her how to use those things you know and we taught them how to cut safely, right? Like where to cut, you know, and, and it's just life skills, right? That we need, we need, they need to learn all the things we need to learn at some point. So I love that. Let's teach our kids how to light a candle and then they can light the Christmas candles at the table and feel special and all of that stuff. Yeah. We recently were, we're working with lighters too, like trying to teach my daughter how to do a lighter. Um, for our table candle too. It's really- yeah, uh, cooking is a good point too as well. The kids always wanna help you in the kitchen. That's a really good time to teach them how to you know, cut safely. And, and when you emphasize that something's uh, dangerous, they get very serious, especially young mm-hmm. kids and very careful. And that's how you want them to be. If they don't have any experience with it, that's when it can be really dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. And you need them to trust themselves too. It's like climbing a tree, you know, or whatever. It's like when my daughter would, who's a huge climber, she could, she actually climbed a little playground ladder before she could walk. Uh, (laughs) She crawled (laughs) over to the bottom of the ladder and climbed (laughs) up, which was so great. But anyway, so she's a huge climber. And what I would say to her is like, how does that feel to be on that branch? Does it feel scary? Like, what does it feel like in your body to be, do you feel like safe and comfortable there? And, and that's, you know, that's what they need, right? Like they need to be able to tune into themselves, not to be able to look to an external source and say, am I okay here? Right. Mm -hmm. We need to have them internalize all of these things, whether it's climbing or lighting a match or crossing the street or, you know, saying no, thank you to the good meaning well-meaning parent who's like you want to ride home yeah I, that's a really good way to put it is to ask them how they feel i like that idea because if we're constantly telling them be careful watch out then they're like second guessing themselves instead of listening 
to, you know, that inner voice, am I ready for this? Um, it can create extra fear and anxiety if we're constantly telling them, you know, you should be afraid. Instead, um, it's good to point out a specific thing, you know, like how high is that branch off the ground? You know, is that a safe distance to you? Or um, do you feel capable of that? And, and congratulate them when they do something that they've, you know, might have found scary when they were smaller. Yeah, yeah. All right. I love this. Yay. Yay, Sarah, for more promotion of, of independence and freedom, freedom for kids, freedom from spanking and freedom to, to go do things in the world. Um, I think this is, I really appreciate the way you, you kind of put a mirror to our culture by going to a different culture. It's really fascinating. So where can people find out more about you and, and uh, about your book, Octon Baby? Uh, well, I have a website, just my name, sarahzaski.com. So you can uh, find info about my book. And uh, I've written several articles related to the, these experiences and and other ones in, a, in America. Your kids, I, I think, I mean, my experience in Germany definitely opened my eyes to uh, the need for their independence. But my kids just playing growing up <laughs> have challenged me, you know, and I think every parent gets challenged by their kids. Um, that stretch your boundaries a little bit. And my husband said something to me once. He's like, you know, kids are supposed to do things that make their parents nervous, <laughs> you know, because they're they're growing up and they're trying to discover who they are and where their limits are. Um, and it's all very normal. And I, I think that's always the message I, I try to leave parents with because we get a lot of anxiety about raising our kids right. Um, that our job is is really fundamentally just we have to love our kids and try to nurture them into who they want to be, become. So they're not our special projects. You know, so sometimes people get caught up in that and they over-identify with their kids, especially in American culture. Um, but our, our job is just to kind of create the guidelines and the guide rails and tell them what's going on in life. And then the rest is up to them. They, you know, they belong to themselves more than they belong to us. Oh, I love that. What beautiful words to end with. They belong to themselves. That's really, that's really beautiful, Sarah. I really, I really appreciate you coming on. I loved uh, checking out your book and, um, and thank you so much for, for putting it all together and sharing, sharing, helping us to see ourselves a little bit more. It's really, really beautiful. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed talking with you. I wonder if this episode has made you think differently about your kids' freedom. It's really interesting, isn't it? It's crazy. You know, a lot of us are, are fearful. We, we worry that the world is a scarier place, but our kids need to get out in the world. They need to have some freedom. And, and uh, actually, my daughter, Sora, just yesterday, she's 11, she wanted to make dinner for us. So she has a great book. There's this great book from America's Test Kitchen, Kids there's two kids cooking book and a baking book that I really, really love. And she's been cooking from them. She wanted to make these black bean bowls for dinner for us, for all of us. I was like, great. So she went and biked to the grocery store, which is about a mile and a half away from the house with her backpack, had the bike lock, biked there, took my credit card. Actually, I need to get it back from her. <laughs> she And got the ingredients and made us dinner. It was amazing. And I know it, she just felt amazing. The food was good. And I was so psyched for her that she had this kind of freedom to do what she wanted to do. It was so cool. So these things can happen. They're really empowering for kids. So I hope it's inspiring you. I'd love to hear your takeaways. Let me know at Mindful Mama Mentor. That's it. That's it, my friend. Thank you so much for listening. I'm wishing you a, a healthy, safe, happy, and calm and peaceful and joyful week. All the things. I hope that you're hanging in there through this holiday season and giving yourself some some breaks and, and downtime and and going through the, you know, it can be kind of a roller coaster. So let's practice to breathe, put our feet on the floor. Remember that we have two arms and two legs. You know, we can, if we are lucky enough to have those things and, and the two eyes that can see the beautiful colors of the world, let's remember to appreciate the essentials. I think that can be really grounding and helpful in 
sometimes that can be unsettling. So I'm wishing you all of those good things. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to connecting with you again next week. Namaste. definitely do it it's really helpful it will change your relationship with your kids for the better it will help you communicate better and just i'd say communicate better as a person as a wife as a spouse it's been really a positive influence in our lives so definitely do it i'd say definitely do it it's so worth it the money really is inconsequential when you get so much benefit from being a better parent to your children and feeling like you're connecting more with them and not feeling like you're yelling all the time or you're like, why isn't things working? I would say definitely do it. It's so, so worth it. It'll change you. No matter what age someone's child is, it's a great opportunity for personal growth and it's a great investment in someone's family. I'm very thankful I have this. You can continue in your old habits that aren't working or you can learn some new tools and gain some perspective to shift everything in your parenting. Are you frustrated by parenting? Do you listen to the experts and try all the tips and strategies, but you're just not seeing the results that you want? Or are you lost as to where to start? Does it all seem so overwhelming with too much to learn? Are you yearning for a community of people who get it? who also don't want to threaten and punish to create cooperation? Hi, I'm Hunter Clarkfields, and if you answered yes to any of these questions, I want you to seriously consider the Mindful Parenting membership. You'll be joining hundreds of members who have discovered the path of mindful parenting and now have confidence and clarity in their parenting. This isn't just another parenting class. This is an opportunity to really discover your unique, lasting relationship, not only with your children, but with yourself. It will translate into lasting, connected relationships, not only with your children, but your partner too. Let me change your life. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com to add your name to the waitlist, so you will be the first to be notified when I open the membership for enrollment. I look forward to seeing you on the inside mindfulparentingcourse.com. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. 